Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, uh, we gave short shrift last week to the weekend's UFC fight night event both on this show and over on the Patreon page. And maybe that was unfair. As it turned out, Marab Dwalishwili's win over Peter Yawn at least has the potential to have a pretty significant impact on the title picture at men's bantamweight, not only for Dwalishvili, uh, but also for the former champion, Peter Yawn. So we're going to give that fight the time it deserves today. But the problem last week was that we still had so much to clean up from UFC 285 and John Jones's big win over Cyril Gone that sometimes it's hard to justify shifting gears to really explore these somewhat anonymous feeling fight nights. And frankly, you know, we've got that situation again this week with UFC 286 and the rematch between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman, but we'll do our best to talk about uh Dvalishvili versus uh, Peter Yan, plus an interesting Bellator event from Friday, and then some preview stuff for, for UFC 286. I asked you this question a couple weeks ago. I will ask it again. What is your hype level now for UFC 286 this week? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the same as it was for UFC 285, because I respect you too much to lie to your face like that, Chad. I appreciate that. Thank you. I would never do that. However... It's not that I'm uninterested. I have, This is a tricky one in some ways because we've already seen this fight a couple times. And even though we saw two different results in the two previous fights, doesn't it kind of feel like we still think we know what to expect, even though we were proven kind of wrong last time? In some ways, yeah. I guess uh, what we learned the last time is that there, it, the, these two guys are certainly capable of... Uh, crafting an ending that we didn't expect so i think there's a little bit more juice involved this third time around i'm glad glad you said i said rematch earlier this is the third damn time for these two guys so there's that one thing that i wonder is that this is the third ufc pay-per-view in just over a month going back to ufc 284 which was on february 12th uh and these are awesome cards man but that is a lot to ask of fans who now have to shell out 80 bucks, at least in theory, for these pay-per-views now. Is this too much pay-per-view? Is this too much pay-per-view in too short a time? I could see somebody making a case for either skipping this one or perhaps finding some ulterior means to watch it. Like, I could see how you might you might feel like, all right, 
UFC 285, you got me. <laughs> Good lineup, big fight at the top. I'm going to pay the money. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch it. And then you come back uh, with pretty soon after that, a third meeting between two guys we've seen in the fight before, especially a fight where if Kamaru Usman has his way, those fights aren't always a whole lot of fun yeah. to watch. And so especially if you think, all right, this time all he has to do is not get kicked upside his head and uh, we will see a Kamaru Usman fight. It's not like the I was really on the edge of my seat with the, with the last one up until he got kicked upside his damn head. I mean, it helps you out a little bit that you can throw a guaranteed banger like Justin Gaethje versus Rafael Fazeev in there. That doesn't hurt you. It doesn't yeah. hurt you one bit. Also, Chad, I don't know if you noticed this, the return of Gunnar Nelson. Oh, wow. No, I hadn't noticed that. It's, now that you mention it, I guess it's been a while since we saw the little fella. And he's fighting your guy, Brian Barberina. Oh, pirate fight. Wow. Okay. It's like a pirate versus Viking fight. Yes. It's like we're doing, uh, what was that show that used to be on Spike TV? Uh, most dangerous warrior or whatever it was called. Yeah. Maybe we should have him just meet on the deck of a Spanish galleon as a neutral ground. Yeah. No, I'm into it. Let's do it. Yeah. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops for free every Monday afternoon in your timelines and podcast libraries. If you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, kids, I need you to do two things for me. First, subscribe to the show. You're actually doing that for yourself because then you can just go straight to your uh, homepage there on Apple Podcasts or Spotify right in your feed and the show shows up automatically whenever we publish it and then you, you don't forget to listen to the show. So just go in there right now. I'm telling you, click the subscribe button. You'll thank me in the morning. Second, if you already subscribe and you like what you hear, go ahead and leave us a five-star review over on whatever platform you use to listen. That stuff really helps uh, the show's visibility and uh, you know helps us bring in new listeners. So that's always great. Uh, if you want to support the show... You, Additionally, you can find us on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are over there pretty much all week, churning out additional MMA content. We've got the Wednesday live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We've got Thursdays doing the damn thing where we take a break from fighting and talk about pop culture. And then we've got Friday's Power Hour, a full additional hour of curated MMA talk to get you hyped for the weekend. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. Again, that's patreon.com slash co-main event. You can also scoop up some dope CME merchandise. Just head over to our brand new merch shop where you'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso shirt, the Cowboy Astronaut Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt. You can also find a lot of cool stuff over there like brand new Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts. And of course, the best seller, the Bobby Nux t-shirt. Just go over to our website, comainevent.com and click the link at the top of the page that says shop. Remember, we're partnering with our guys over at Superconductor on the shop we can't recommend them enough for all your design needs hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on instagram studio superconductor we got music this week from our guy Roz jarborg longtime listener friend of the show if you like what you hear from him on this episode check out more over at soundcloud.com slash s-t-h-l-m 
Ross. That's R-A-S. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, after a big win over Peter Yan, Marab Dvalishvili now finds himself in that delicate position of being the number one contender who doesn't really want to fight the champion. And in round number two, Benson Henderson retired. Michael Venom Page did something absolutely horrendous to Gochi Yamaguchi's uh, knee, and Bellator proved once again that it also has a Nermi who is pretty damn good. And in round number three, Leon Edwards and Kamaro Usman are going to do it again, again, brother, this time in London, England, England, across the Atlantic Sea, where the champion may be hoping that lightning can indeed strike twice. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do at this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is one of my favorite products online right now. I use it on all my devices. I know Ben does too. It's super fast and easy enough to use that even I can figure it out, which sometimes is saying something. NordVPN will give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town, and your phone is bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Ben, what's your favorite thing? right now about NordVPN. Well, you know I love that it protects me as I'm going from various public Wi-Fis. And it doesn't matter where I am, Chad. It doesn't matter if I'm at my local fish and chips shop enjoying some some fish and chips for lunch. doesn't matter if I then hop on the tube, go down to my, my favorite pub. It uh, doesn't matter, Chad, if I go uh, into the office to work on various business schemes. NordVPN has me covered. You know, you gave that a real British flair this week. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. that's special for it's, UFC 286. This is one thing I will never get over is how British people use the word schemes in a non-negative way. Do they really? It just means like business plans and like things like that. I've heard people who I work with in my company be like, make sure you sign up for the our wellness scheme. And I'm like, what are you <laughs> plotting? Uh, yeah, that's doesn't have a, a negative way. connotation for them. Just means like a, like a straight up, like sort of business plan. It's wow. incredible. I'll I, never get used to it. I did not know that. I was, yeah. I was today years old when I found out that the British use that word in a non-negative way. That's interesting. Yeah. For us, it's always nefarious. Yeah, no, Maybe that's says right. something about us. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we've been telling you guys about the Nord Security Bundle. NordVPN has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, you want to go whole hog, you can get the complete plan, which will take care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main, that's all one word, to get a free bonus month as well as their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. Ben, our first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Australian rules football player Latham Vandermeer. Okay, good to hear from him. He writes, so Davy Grant trading a point to get back to the feet in a fight where he needs a finish, which he immediately gets. Best application of Dundasso ever or just the most recent? I mean, it does this one really prove why you should always at least give cheating a shot. Yeah, just give it a chance. Yeah. Let see what cheating can do for you. Because this is a great example where it's just like you do something against the rules and it ends up benefiting you. In part because you can 
you at least have a shot when you do cheat that the referee will either miss it or even if he gets it, the desire to just start the fight again. Like that's one of the points that you made that I think of often in that first Dundasso article that you wrote for Cage Potato was the reason it works so often is because when there's any sort of like confusion or stoppage or anything like that, the desire is just start the fight again right away. Like we we don't like that uncomfortable mid-zone there. And the, lo and behold, there you go. You basically get out of a position you didn't want to be in. And hey, take all the points you want from me if I can then choke you to sleep just moments later doesn't matter you know yeah this is the uh the chuck liddell special is what i used to call it where you could go out and you could poke a guy in the eye as many times as you wanted and it didn't matter if you were just going to knock him out in the second round you know cheat all you want because it doesn't doesn't even come into play if you win by stoppage not only does davy grant get out of the position and then finish this thing with the weird inverted triangle but he scooped up 50 G's extra. Ben folks, he got a performance of the night bonus. So you should absolutely cheat. They gave him 50 grand. They gave him 50 grand for this. So yeah, always cheat in an MMA fight. You might make yourself 50 grand extra. Also though, um, when the guy is pushing hard against you for a finish, not the time to give him the thumbs up, you know, <laughs> you give them thumbs up and then bam, you get dropped immediately after that. That's a bummer, man. Yeah. That's a bummer. That's a bummer. Next question this week comes to us from Jizzy B, who writes, Mark Smith went out there and had himself a night, arguably as strong a performance as any fighter. He failed to deduct a point on at least seven different fence grabs. Do you recall a ref having repeated a repeated poor performance over the same issue on one fight card? Uh, you know, refs are all, they're always going to do it different. That's one of the, that's one of the main bugaboos about the way we do the rules in MMA is that, you know, whatever ref you get, they're probably gonna, gonna score it differently. They're probably going to police things a little bit differently out there. And, you know, any individual ref is going to judge the fence grab slightly differently. And here you got Mark Smith, who's just seemingly not going to do a whole, whole heck of a lot about it. You know, I think that one of the things that I feel like we have seen over time is a ref sort of uh, overcorrecting in one direction or another, especially when it comes to stoppages. That's something where I feel like we've definitely seen moments where and you can understand why it happens, right? Because it's like you stop one too soon, everybody's mad at you. The guy gets up, passes the what the fuck test. You've ruined the fight. They want to let you know about it on Twitter. And then whether you are even conscious of it or not, how do you, if you're human, how do you not still think about it? the next fight you're working later that night or next weekend or whatever. And then maybe you let one go on a little too long. And they're like, what is wrong with you? You barbarian. Yeah. Are you trying to get someone killed out here? Yeah. And you know, most of the time, if you're an MMA referee, almost no one is going to be like, Hey, perfect job, man. Yeah. Way to go. Absolutely flawless. We would like to take a moment to specifically spotlight you for your awesome work. Yeah. The best that can happen to you is you get ignored. If your name is in the streets for any reason, you have fucked something up. So yeah, absolutely. Just a totally thankless job. Next question this week comes to us from J- Johan Emil Falkenlow Roots, who mm. writes, I'm flabbergasted that Marab reportedly is the first fighter to shout Slava Ukraine in post fight. 
Are the brass pansies trying to protect the Russian market? Some people on Reddit seem to think so. Perhaps an opportunity to unfeather some shit. Also flabbergasted by his energy level post-fight after 48 takedown attempts <laughs> and fighting like a devil. Regards and Slava Ukraine. Uh, I too was astounded not only at the the energy that Marab. Do you know we're saying Dwala Shwili now? That's tough, man. That's a tough one for me to pull off. Yeah. Honestly, just to get my mouth to move that way. I just, I want to, there should be a hard and fast rule that you get one pronunciation change of your name <laughs> and then we got to just roll with it, man. You can be Duvalishvili or Duvalishvili or Adesanya or Adesanya. And if John Jones wants to come out here and be like, it's actually June Johns, uh, <laughs> he can do it one time and that's it. We're not changing it again. <laughs> And I'm, I'll try to say Marab Dwalishwili, but my stupid American mouth will probably fuck it up numerous times. So I'm just going to put that Marab? out there. Are but there, other, are there that's any how other the, Marabs? That's how the UFC broadcast team does it. it well, yeah, they run into a, uh, a, you know, a name that's not John Smith, and they're just going to call him by his first name the whole time. They've been doing it for years. I was impressed and surprised not only by the energy he brought to the interview, kind of ratcheting it up pro wrestling promo style until he was yelling at the end of every answer but also just jumping around in the cage egging on the crowd so yeah there's a lot of energy for a guy who kept up an unbelievable pace over 25 minutes well and you know i don't want to get too much into it since we're going to talk about it later but like ray longo i remember him telling me this before and talking about different his approach to different fighters and i think i was talking to him for a story about how much do you do film study and work on crafting that into a game plan for each fight? And he was saying, you know, I kind of do a lot of film study and I, I, my, a lot of my fighters don't like to do it. So I do it and then tell them what I, what I've seen and, and what we should take away from it. And he, but then he noted, except for somebody like Marab, where it doesn't matter because he's just going to go out there and do his thing. And it does not matter what the other person is doing because Marab's thing is always going to be the same. Yeah. And he's like, it's just kind of easy to coach that guy because it's just like you're just winding him up, pointing him in the right direction and letting him go. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. And you could see that definitely in this fight. It is a little weird to me, though, how we made a big deal about the record breaking number of takedown attempts. Yeah. Because to a certain extent, that's not a great thing <laughs> on its own. <laughs> Because you, one of the only ways that you can even rack up that many takedown attempts is to either A, not finish most of them, yeah, or B, not be able to keep the guy down on the ground where you evidently want him because you keep shooting for fucking takedowns. Right. I mean, yeah, if you are a grappler and your goal is to go out there and wrestle, uh, the perfect amount of takedowns in a 25-minute fight would be five, correct? I mean, or if you're great on the ground, how about one? And then you finish him once you get down there. I mean, it's, I, I say that not necessarily as a criticism because it definitely works for Marab's yeah. style. Yeah. I mean, where he's this... just trying to throw so much at you at all times that you don't ever get to do your stuff. Yeah. This, this particular so breaking of the record was actually pretty impressive. I will say that. I will say that much as far as him shouting out Slava Ukraine at the end of the fight. I mean, we have 
noticed over the course of this conflict over there that the UFC has tried to be very apolitical about it, even as yeah. parts of the UFC continue to skew more and more politically, uh, which always makes it hilarious whenever bros on social media are like, I wish the media would keep politics out of MMA without noticing that the people who brought politics into MMA were Dana White and the fighters. Uh but I was surprised that Marab shouted out Slava Ukraine because I know they've been trying to to keep sort of out of the, any notion of where they stand on this conflict. And let's be honest, we are also ter- perfectly clear on the notion that they are, in fact, trying to court the Russian market uh, for obvious reasons. That they have a bunch of really good Russian fighters and they go over to Abu Dhabi, which is like a popular vacation destination for Russian tourists. And they think they can make money over there, not to mention live uh, rights fees and television and everything else. So, yeah, they are trying to court the Russian market. Does this thing with him shouting out Slava Ukraine have anything to do with that did he did I did he cross somebody probably not they probably don't care that much uh but at the same time he goes out there number one says that after the fight number two seems to displease the boss a little bit by flat saying I'm not gonna fight Aljamain Sterling and I know we will talk about all of this coming up in round number one but how does Marab Dwalishwili not get a performance of the night bonus at the end of this did not get one they gave the, the, the fight of the night was Vitor Petrino versus Anton Turkalsh. The performance of the nights went to Davy Grant and Bruno Gustavo da Silva. How do you not give one to Marab? That's like one of the more suffocating and dominant performances over a well-known two-time former champion that we have seen in recent memory. And you don't give the guy a bonus. Makes me feel like something is going on, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think in general, the UFC's only guiding principle, only consistent guiding principle is making that money. And to the extent that they would be at all annoyed or would care, it would just be because of uh, we want to pursue all possible markets. Right. At the same time, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if something like that, that one moment is going to hurt you in any noticeable way in the Russian market. I'd also have to think that everybody in the Russian market, I mean, at this point, would would they be shocked to learn that it is not a particular popular decision <laughs> to go on a war of conquest against one of your neighbors that has lasted now over a year? Like, I don't know if they are still shocked to find out that the rest of the world maybe uh, doesn't love that. So probably okay. Next question this week comes to us from Jean Poulin, who writes, The MMA News headline is Power Slap League Busted for Allegedly Faking Social Media Engagement During Event. Turns out that Dana White's Power Slap League may be artificially boosting some of their numbers. Please comment on this massive train wreck. I did see this over the weekend that some internet sleuths you know this is always going to happen there's internet sleuths out there when during the power slap broadcast which god bless some people for watching that and taking enough interest in it to check out the social tweets but they were doing the usc thing where they put tweets up on the screen yeah and then the sleuths the detectives were going to these various specific people's timelines and being like i don't see this tweet on their timeline about the about the power slap league so who knows what was going on over there in the world of the Slappity Slap League? Well, there was a lot, it seemed. Obviously, I'm going to drop this bomb and tell you just right straight up. 
I did not watch the slap leaks thing. What? On whatever bullshit ass what? streaming service. You didn't that it go was on. find the Rumblefish streaming service or whatever it was to watch the the destroyer slap the wolf fang guy. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it, it keep trying to send me these press releases and it's fucking ridiculous. But it is there's there was a lot of ways it seemed like you could see the UFC or like you know power slap league i guess but leveraging ufc resources and leveraging ufc techniques frankly to try to make this seem like a bigger thing than it was like there were more people interested and or, or that they were like famous people interested or whatever and they're clearly like calling in favors with some people trying to make it seem like oh everybody's watching the slap league can't get enough of the slap league and it's like obvious bullshit it is obviously bullshit the social media engagement numbers Dana White has been talking about throughout the duration of this thing. Obviously bullshit. Everybody can see that. And again, just like we said, how it's kind of dispiriting to watch the UFC, Dana White, and other people sort of associated run the same playbook that they did with the MMA regulation and try to make the same exact arguments around the slap league. It's also, they're doing the same thing with how they try to use social media to prop it up. It's just way more fake with this because people don't actually fucking like it, man. Nobody likes this shit. And they just, Data White can't face that. His ego is too massive. All the, the people around him have to also pretend like uh, these people, they're just haters, Dana. They're just, they're just hating on it because they don't like it. Which, by the way, the comment he made leading up to this thing last week where he was like, the only reason all this negative press is going on is because I'm involved. <laughs> And like, that's why, because this thing has been going on uh, for a long time before, and there was never this kind of negative press. And it's like, okay, fair enough. Maybe it's because when shady Russian promoters hold a slap fight thing in a abandoned prison or whatever between like Zulu Zeno and some guy, we didn't necessarily have any high expectation for those shady Russian promoters, man. If they weren't doing this, they're going to have people, you know, fighting each other in a, a submarine on the bottom of the ocean. Just they, th That's what they do is try to find any sort of weird new fight sport thing that they can create. They've been doing that for years and we don't expect better of them. We did, to our peril, expect better of you. And that is why you get some of the criticism. But also, what are you saying at that point? If you're, If that is your argument, you're basically being like, Listen, the only reason this thing has gone so poorly is because I am a toxic brand ambassador <laughs> and my very presence will destroy something. Like, that's not a thing. If that's true, that's not a thing you should be advertising. And <laughs> kind of your whole shit if you're Dana White. Yeah, that's that's, that's the only thing you do is be the yes. brand ambassador. And if that were true, then why hasn't that same thing happened to the UFC? UFC remains pretty popular, doing pretty well, even despite all the reasons people might have to be mad at Dana White over various shit over the years. They still, they like the UFC in spite of it. So why does that not carry over to the UFC in the same way, if that's true? Dana White flatly telling everyone not to have him involved with their brand at all. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Darkwing Duck, who writes, I figure you gentlemen will discourse UFC 286's main event a great deal, but let's not forget about the absolute fire co-main between Dus Justin Gaethje and Raphael Fazeev. Does this fight serve its purpose and get us hyped for the main event, or is this thing going to be like when you go to a concert and the opening act blows the headliner out of the water? So, we're all hyped, right, to watch 
Justin Gaethje and Raphael Fazeev in the co-main, a lightweight fight in support of Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman. But does Darkwing Duck have a point here? Is Justin Gaethje and Leon Edwards going to kind of be the highlight of this thing? And then Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, like we have already said a couple times, are going to go out there a third time and maybe do a thing that we all presume we know the outcome of? Yeah, I mean, this could be a situation where what we end up seeing is uh, when Guns N' Roses opened for Iron Maiden, you know, and just absolutely wrecked it. I, I We could see several different types of fights, I guess, out of the main event. The the one kind of fight that we're hoping for out of the co-main event is a Justin Gaethje-ass fight, you know? <laughs> we want to see Rafael Fazeev do at least one Matrix-like dodge of a kick, and we want to see Justin Gaethje throw them thangs. And if we get those two things, I don't see how we're going to be disappointed. You know, it does. But it feels like one of those fights where it's like they put that together being like, okay, we need one that's just a slobber knocker for slobber knocker's sake. And this is that one. And it's I mean, it's relevant to the division and everything, but also just seems like uh, we're going to be meeting up in the emergency room to do a a selfie together after this one. You know? I like your reference, man. Guns N' Roses opening for Iron Maiden. That's very Mm -hmm. now. You know, people come to this podcast because they feel like (laughs) we've got our pulse on the current uh, zeitgeist. And so for you to reach into your pocket for Guns N' Roses opening for Iron Maiden, that's that's just that's that's a great reference. I mean, I'm just I'm a current guy. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Uh, Last one here this week from Aman Ra Barbarossa. Subject line, Sir Nigel's whereabouts. The email okay. says, wherefore art thou, Sir Nigel? Uh, you know, m- new listeners of the Co-Main Event Podcast may not even know about our guy, Sir Nigel Longstock, the world's leading theatricalist who used to come in here, m- you know, more often than not and lead us in a rousing game of Master Tweet Theater. It's been a while since we had him on, and I don't even know. His whereabouts may be unknown at this point. He may be... Off the grid, as far as we know, living in an earth home somewhere. I'm concerned that around about the time we stopped hearing from Sir Nigel, train derailments became a big issue in the United States. I'm not saying those two things are connected, but I can't prove that they're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So who knows? Maybe Sir Nigel will join us again at some point, but we can't make any promises. No. All right, that is going to do it this week for Listener Mail. Remember, if you've got a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That will get you in touch with us. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, we talked about some of this stuff during the introduction to the show, but Marab Dwalashwili goes out there against Peter Yawn in the main event of this UFC Fight Night event on Saturday, live from the, get this, theater at the Virgin Hotels in Paradise, Nevada, because these motherfuckers had to move this thing because they thought they were going to put the dumbass slap finale on pay-per-view. ha <laughs> ha! 
<laughs> Got to clear clear some space at the apex for the slappity slap show because it's going to be such a big <laughs> deal. Oh man, hilarious! In any way, in any case, Davalashvili just goes out there and just puts a whooping on Peter Yan. Man, one of the more impressive and dominating performances we have seen in a long time. Just relentless with the takedown attempts, incredibly quick. Uh, forces you as his opponent to play defense almost all the time. I got to be honest with you, man. I get tired just watching this dude fight. He seemingly has a bottomless gas tank. And after 25 minutes, he's breathing heavy, but he looks like he could go five more rounds after he does this to Peter Yan, who, by the way, two-time former champion in this division. Yeah, and... It brings to mind a phrase that we have used before, but is most applicable perhaps to Marab than it is to anybody else, is weaponized pace. A guy who can do that to you, and especially at a weight class like bantamweight, where already you're used to guys with high motors, deep gas tanks going out there, and he can just be in constant motion, on constant attack, and it's so suffocating but also it just forces you to be constantly on defense in one way or another that you don't ever get a chance to to go on offense and do your stuff and and peter yon had a few moments where he's trying but it's like if you can't hit him with something hard enough to make him back up and give you a second and if you can't just like shut down his forward pressure game in one way or another then you end up dancing to his tune the entire time and he's really good at that. That is his whole thing. Like, it's going to be really hard to win a fight against him if it ends up being that kind of a fight. Yeah. Uh, he, well, you know, one of the other things is that when you've got the full complement of takedowns and you are landing several of them early on in this fight, that also serves to open up the striking game. Because he's going out there kind of fainting, faking on takedowns, throwing elbows. He's got good low kicks. He's touching Peter Yawn up in this fight down the stretch having a lot of success with his striking. So once Marab Dvalishvili gets the game going, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. Kind of, he's got such great cardio. He's got such great wrestling ability and he's got uh, serviceable striking that comes into play after he's already got you worried about the grappling that he's able to just put on a clinic here against Peter Yan. As we mentioned before, broke the record for takedown attempts in the UFC, 48 attempts over 25 minutes, which is remarkable. And one of the other things that struck me, he's out there smiling at Peter Yan almost the whole time. He had said leading into this fight, it was personal for him. He didn't care for a lot of the things Peter Yan had done leading up to the fight, including but not limited to a weird karate chop kind of push at the weigh-ins. But like Marab Dvalishvili exerting this pace throughout the fight and also clearly having the time of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like the the thing that he is able to do, uh, and Peter Yan, I think there were a couple moments where you're like, okay, Peter Yan is, is trying to find where the openings are, where's the gap in this offensive rhythm that Marab has set, where you can get something of your own in there, and also see if you can hit him with something that'll at least give him pause, that at least make him worry that he might be about to walk into something bad, and he just couldn't really seem to do it. He he couldn't seem to string much at all together. It was just like you, you could get a, a shot in here or there, but it's like Marab doesn't really care. Yeah. If you do. 
Yeah. And then I'm sure mm. as you get tired, your arms get heavy and your one eye just starts to turn into like a water balloon on the side of your face. That probably doesn't help either, you know? Yeah, you got uh, Ray Longo and Matt Sarah over in the corner, maybe the most popular cornering tandem in all of mixed martial arts. You love to see those guys over there working anybody's corner. Uh, this is nine wins in a row for Marab Dvalishvili, the last three of them over Marlon Moraes, Jose Aldo, and now Peter Yawn, which is a pretty impressive collection of wins, even if that Jose Aldo one wasn't necessarily a highlight reel affair. But also over in the corner for Dvalishvili was Aljamain Sterling, who is great friends, we are led to believe, with Dvalishvili. And Dvalishvili has come out and pretty much said, I won't fight this guy. I'm going to wait for him to either lose the title or move up in weight. Also, by the way, kind of awkward when they were asking him about that in the post-fight interview, and he was going on and on about how Sterling is the real champ, et cetera, et cetera. And Aljamain Sterling is standing over there with the rest of the corner, kind of, you know, looking off into space like, okay, man, that's, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to keep going on about it. But this, you know, this puts the UFC or the division, I guess, in an interesting situation uh, because you have an apparent number one contender, even though, Henry Cejudo and Sean O'Malley are both kind of also stacked up at that division. But Marab is out here saying, I won't fight this guy. And you know who doesn't like that? Yeah. The always, guy in always. charge. For this In this case, I think for understandable reasons. You can imagine how this would be kind of annoying if you were an MMA promoter. But Dana White has come out and said this would be a, quote, big mistake if Marab doesn't end up fighting Aljamain Sterling. You know, I remember how... The first instance I remember of Dana White ever getting on the soapbox about this was over Rashad Evans and Keith Jardine. You remember that? Mm-hmm. When they were both kind of coming up as light heavyweights and Dana White was saying at a post-fight press conference after an event where Rashad had won a fight and he was saying, I think that that fight might make sense. And Rashad just was like, we won't fight each other. That's just not a thing that we're going to do. And Dana White replied something along the lines of, you'll fight the fight if we make it. And Rashad was just like, no, we won't. And it, over the years, I've been like, is it that he just can't stand the idea of the fighters exerting that kind of will and being an obstacle to making some of these fights and doesn't want to like, is that, is that too close to fighter solidarity Yeah, maybe so. uh, to, for a promoter to be comfortable with? And then, but I also think that you're right that you can see why a promoter would be annoyed at something like that, especially because when you look at the history of it, it we've seen several instances, and it seems like the people who come out the best in it are the people who approach it with the like, hey, if it's for a title, if it's the thing where we're one and two, and that's the only thing really to do, then we'll figure it out. You know, we we will. Instead of just saying, we won't ever do it, and then you create this wedge that the, the promoter is going to keep hammering, the media is ham- going to keep hammering, you're going to be constantly ask, answering questions about it, and it'll wear you down, and all it takes is a little bit of a crack in the facade. All it takes is for one person to be like, well, I don't know, maybe, and then boom. yeah, It's, it's split wide open. And I think that the best way we've seen people handle it is to just be like, if it comes down to that, where that's the only fight left to make, then we will figure out a way. Um, because otherwise, 
it, it is tough from a practical standpoint to be like, I'm going to wait around, see what this guy does as champion and what keep knocking off contenders. Um, because what are you here for? If not to be champion, you yeah. know, especially when it's going really well for you and you're stacking up wins. Yeah. Uh, well, we know the UFC won't pay him any more to do it. We found that out the hard way over <laughs> yeah. and over again here in this new uh, era of the UFC. We got this uh, question from PPP Lone Getter this week, okay. and I wanted to read it. It says, how will we remember Peter Yawn? At one point, only three years ago, he was flying high as the supposed parenthetically marketed next in line cold-blooded russian champion destined for a dominant reign since then he has gone one four and one all decisions contemplated retirement and forgot to turn on the spam takedown blocker this past weekend against marab will he be known as the ultimate victim of dundasso the illegal knee at ufc 259 or with sterling moving up to 145 at some point do you ever think he makes it back up to the top of bantamweight it's a good question because I started to wonder the same thing as I'm watching this fight. And I was just like, is this just Marab doing his thing, which everybody's having a hard time stopping? Or is it maybe also that Peter Yan isn't quite as scary as we once thought he was? Because we thought he was yeah. for a time. Remember when they made Uriah Faber fight him when they were like, oh, yeah, Uriah <laughs> Faber, you want to keep hanging around? You want to keep you want to still fight? Fine. Fight this guy, and it was just a brutalization. Yeah, and uh, you know he knocked out Uriah Faber. He beat Jose Aldo, and looked like he was on his way to beating Aljamain Sterling in that fight, and then got disqualified for the knee. And we kind of at the time took the approach like, well, if he gets that fight back, you know, it might be a different story. Instead, he gets that decision over Corey Sandhagen, and then loses Aljamain Sterling. Loses to Sean O'Malley, and we were still willing to be like, well, those are both questionable decisions, both split decisions, very close fights. Peter Yan in our minds, still really good. And then you lose this one where there's absolutely no doubt that you lost it, uh, and you got kind of just rolled right over for five rounds. And that's the point, I think, where we do start to go, wait a minute. Yeah. Is Peter Yan washed? Is he just not as good as we thought? Uh, is he just sort of, is the book out there on him and he can't quite write the ship somehow? I don't know, but it does seem like we're looking at him real different than we were two years ago. Yeah, uh, I will say this in defense of Peter Yon. I think everything that you said was right, but he just turned 30 last month. Is these three losses, as you mentioned, right in a row now, a split decision to Aljamain Sterling, a split decision to Sean O'Malley, and then this kind of dominating loss to Marav Dvalishvili. And of course, before that, the DQ'd Aljamain Sterling due to the illegal knee that he threw. Uh, I wouldn't totally count him out at this point. He is still obviously a dangerous guy at 135 pounds. I would not particularly want to fight him if I were an up-and-coming bantamweight contender. It could just be a case where this was the ultimate terrible matchup of styles for him against Dvalishvili. And I have no doubt that Peter Yawn will probably have some more success at 135 pounds. Will he be the champion a third time? I mean, statistics tell us, history tells us, probably not, just because only a very, very select percentage of fighters ever become the champion once, and most guys who lose it never get it back. So that's probably the way to bet on Peter Yan, although I would say I think he is still got the skills and the ability to be pretty successful in that division. So I would not say he's completely out of it yet. 
Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then uh, we will go on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, as we'll talk about here in a minute, we got ourselves a UFC pay-per-view event going down over there in England. Cross the pond. And then I look at, you know, I'm following your guy, John Gooden, the over there on Twitter, at John Gooden UK. I see him post a clip, a YouTube video saying that he's not on the commentary for UFC 286. And he posts it with the message, anyone who loves what they do won't be truly happy sitting on the bench, but team players understand their role. Are you fucking kidding me? We're going to go over there and do a pay-per-view event in England. And I don't get to hear the the, the classy-ass dulcet tones of John Gooden on the call. Even when we're in London, he's already over there. He save a airline ticket. It, like, I, I'm of the opinion that while I like John Anik, I think John Anik does a great job when DC and Joe Rogan will shut up long enough to let him talk. I, th- I also think that John Gooden does a great job and doesn't get enough playing time Yeah, on the mic with the UFC. We go over there into his backyard and we don't put the man on the call? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? What kind of shit is that? It does seem unfair, man. He's putting in the work. You might as well give him the, the carrot once he gets the opportunity to call these big fights. I don't understand that. Ben, did you watch this fight between... Vitor Petrino and Anton Turkalsh that ends up winning fight of the night. Did you see this one? I did not. Anton Turkalsh, I'm probably butchering his name. He had a Hall of Fame performance in this fight as far as I'm concerned, despite the fact that he loses the unanimous decision. First of all, did you know that this man's nickname is The Pleasure Man? I'm sorry, what? Anton The Pleasure Man Turkalsh. How dare he take my nickname? Are you fucking kidding me? That's amazing. (laughs) Is he a fighter or is he a male prostitute? I don't know. I can't tell. Does he give erotic massages? I don't know. He's a pleasure man. I love it so much. After that, he goes out there all in the first round. Mind you, Ben, he gets taken down. He starts throwing the, the hoist Gracie heel strikes from the bottom. To the kidneys of Vitor uh, Petrino. Then he gets up. He throws some foot stomps against the cage. Then he throws a couple of shoulder strikes. Then he fires off a spinning back fist. Where he gets punched in the back of the head as he's doing it. And then he gets a low blow. Are you fucking kidding me? The pleasure man. Are you trying to be my best friend? Because it's working. It's working. You fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, at the age of 39... And with just slightly over 40 pro fights to his credit, the big homie Smooth Benson Henderson has called it quits in MMA. Former WEC champion, former UFC champion, been in Bellator holding it down for a little while now. 
said that he told himself when he signed this new deal with Bellator, which he had said he felt like he underperformed for Bellator recently and then uh, got himself a new deal. And he told himself that if he lost uh, during this stretch of fights, that he would know that it was time. He goes out there. He gets submitted by Usman Nurmagomedov in the first round and tells us that's it. So long and thanks for all the cheese. How will we remember the career of one Benson Henderson? How many fights did you say? Over 40. Oh, I would not have guessed it was anywhere close to that for Benson Henderson. Now, how are we going to remember him? Probably not as fondly or with as much respect as we should put on his name, because I think he's one of these guys, unfortunately, that when it comes out in the wash, uh, will be it'll be easy to to overlook his achievements. But we shouldn't do that. There was a time when Benson Henderson was very, 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 very good at this sport. So good he would fight with a toothpick in his mouth and not <laughs> fear the consequences of that. Uh, and was always a likable guy as far as I was concerned. And, you know, did great things at what was a pretty important time for the UFC because he was in and around uh, the top of that division as the UFC signed the Fox deal. You know, the the big jump from Spike to the mainstream. So, you know, Ben Henderson was was at least a cog in the machine at that time. I think, you know, he ought to be remembered as as on the list of one of the better fighters that we've seen uh, as a lightweight. And so and we may not we may not remember him that way. I think that it's easy to be kind of out of sight, out of mind, especially when you finish your career with an extended run over there in Bellator. But he was good, man. He was damn good. And I, I hope that we don't forget that as we move forward. Yeah, it's it's also when you watch a fighter go through this kind of late stage, it always seems like a tricky thing. Because I remember when he was UFC champion, him talking about how he had a very specific goal of what age he wanted to retire by. Um, I can't remember what the age was, but it, we passed it a while ago. Yeah, probably you know? wasn't 39. No, uh, it may have been 30, honestly. And to... Get to this point where it's like, okay, you're you're in Bellator, you have a couple losses stack up, and you don't want to just say, like, that's it. Because the same refrain we hear all the time is that fighters saying, well, I can't go out like that. And then you you, you pull out of that that skid a little bit, you, you win a couple in a row, and doesn't that just show that you still got it? That you can still do it? And so having the sort of wherewithal to be like, you know, this wasn't a fight where it's like you necessarily got trucked by someone bad. Like you, you know, you went up against a good opponent. He, he, he got on your back and he got that choke in and he beat you. And a lot of people could talk themselves through that and be like, okay, that, that could happen. I got to get back on the horse. I can't, I can't go out on that one either. And to, to stick with his own logic in that case and be like, I told myself, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do that. Uh, if it holds, I mean, as we say about an MMA retirement, you wait nine months at least before you know if it's real. Um, but, it does show that like a degree of self-awareness and a degree of like realism about yeah. the way this sport works and, and the way time itself works in, in pro sports. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, the, he already, he always seemed like a smart guy too. So hopefully yeah. he walks away with those faculties. Um, WEC champ, we should point out before he was UFC champ wins over Donald Cerrone, Jim Miller, Clay Guida, Frankie Edgar, Nate Diaz, Gilbert Melendez, Josh Thompson, uh, among the notable victories during his UFC run, I guess, throw Jorge Masvidal on there as well. So very good at an important time for the UFC. One of the things that I'll always remember was being at that final WEC event 
where he lost that fight to Anthony Pettis, yeah. was the victim of the Showtime kick. For sure. And I remember him showing up to the press conference afterwards and sort of trying to talk about, you know, how heartbroken he was at losing that fight. And also sort of knowing, like, we all knew that that was an amazing highlight when we saw it. And so you could see him, the, the realization kind of dawning on him, like, I lost my title and I'm going to be showing up on this highlight reel forever of the guy getting kicked in his head as the guy jumps off the cage. And you're watching all of this heartbreak sort of ripple across his face in real time as he's sitting there at the press conference. You're watching him, you know, when your face twists up like you're going to cry, but then he's you can see him just feeling like, I don't want to cry in front of these assholes. You know, I don't want to um, post these pictures of me crying at the press conference and it's going to be a, a image they use on Benson Henderson's sad stories for the next 10 years. You can tell that he was really fighting that hard. But also it was like, it was so raw and it was right there on his face where you could just see... Like, how hard it must be to show up at the press conference right after that thing happens and talk to us about it and try to be a good sport about it, which he was. He was yeah. managing to do all those things, and it, but it was in that moment really evident how difficult that is. Let's talk for a second about uh, Usman Nurmagomedov, the Bellator lightweight champion. I'm just going to throw a couple of things at you. This man is 24 years old. He is 17 and 0. He is the cousin of Habib Nurmagomedov. And this guy has the striking. This guy, he's, he's good on the feet. He's not just out here trying to get in there and wrestle with people. So he is a well-rounded fighter. And I feel like Bellator right now continues to collect these high-level fighters who are good enough as to make us wonder, are they the best in their weight class right now in the world. And I would put Usman Nurmagomedov on that list. I have no idea how he would fare if he came over to the UFC and competed in that shark tank of 155 pound division. But he seems real good to me. Real, real, real good. Real good. And also, Chad, 24. Yeah, I just said that. Usman Nurmagomedov was born, Chad, about two months before I graduated high school. Yeah. That, I mean, that leaves a lot of time on the clock for him to still get good and is also unbelievably sort of depressing for me. But when you're Bellator, aren't you looking at this, something like that and being like, this is exactly where we wanted to be, right? Where people said that we weren't, like, this is what we said Bellator didn't have was, sort of their own talent that were not washed up UFC guys, but that their own guys who are super good and, but they are Bellator's guys. And now you have it. You have a 24 year old guy who looks like if you can keep him around, this guy could continue being a big deal for you for a while. If you can hold on to him and make him into a thing and, and make it so that people see him and get to care about him because that's the big challenge for Bellator right now. I mean, and you got to hand it to Scotty Cox for going to, uh, to get his own Nermy. He's like, we got to get a Nermy over here. <laughs> he saw it. He was like, I want one of those. Yeah. Get us- a lot of Nurmagomedovs being pretty good out there in uh, MMA right now. Usman Nurmagomedov, the younger brother of Umar Nurmagomedov, the cousin of Habib Nurmagomedov, and not to be confused with Saeed Nurmagomedov, who's not related. He's unrelated. 
in fairness, in this sport, especially at this current moment, there are some Nurmagomedovs to go around. Everyone yeah. could have one, yeah. you know? It's not like you need to hoard the Nurmagomedovs. There's there's one for everybody. This mm-hmm. Here are Bellator's champions at this moment who I think can make at least a claim that they are among the better fighters in their weight class in the world. Or they Let's call these the unknowns. Usman Nurmagomedov, Yaroslav Amasov, Johnny Eblen, and Vadim Nemkov are all Bellator champions right now. And guys that you look at and think, I don't know, they're pretty good. You could bring them over to the UFC and they might win the gold over there too. The the thing is though, like, I hate to be the one to ask this question, but how much does it even matter in today's MMA landscape? Because yeah. as we said before, the UFC, you know, we still give lip service to the idea of this is where the best fight the best. But you look around a lot of these fight night events and it's just some guys, you know, just some guys that we got. Maybe they'll pan out. Maybe they won't. Doesn't matter for the, the sake of the business model. Bellator uh, kind of struggling really to hold on to a number two spot. Does it matter that you can look around and say like, hey, everyone, you got to admit, we have some guys who have a firm argument that they might be the best in the world at their weight class. And it seems like that the case for Bellator has gotten stronger in that regard over the last few years. They have more of those guys. And yet I'm not sure when you look around at the response from the fan base that it always feels like it matters a whole lot. Ben, before we move on, we got to talk about this thing that Michael Page did uh, to go to Yamaguchi. Uh, did you see the did you see the highlight of this? Because this is one of the nastier injuries that you'll see for a while in MMA. The funny thing about mixed martial arts is that if you watch it, as long as we've watched it, you start to think, I've seen it, man. I've yeah. seen what can happen to people in this sport. I've seen a guy get his forehead crushed in. I've seen broken legs. I've seen all this stuff. Saw a finger come off once. Uh, and then Michael Page does this shit where as it happened, it looked like he just broke Yamaguchi's kneecap into a million pieces, just put a dent in the middle of his leg. Scott Coker comes out after the event and says ruptured patella tendon for Yamaguchi, which is bad. That sounds bad. But like as it happened, it looked like he made the middle of this man's leg explode. And that was nasty. I, I got to say, that was some roadhouse shit. Yeah, it was. It was like early this, Steven Seagal movie type stuff. Yeah, it's exactly what Dalton is trying to tell you to do. Uh, and yeah, if you get out of that, as bad as that looked, if you get out of that with just like a rupture patella tendon, then maybe you got off lucky. Yeah. Because that seemed like, like, basically, if you can show up and be like, we think he will walk again someday. I'm like, well, okay, good. Thank goodness for that. Because yeah. that seemed bad. Yeah, and it, gross. It sure did. Uh, Michael Page, who lost, remember he lost that fight to Douglas Lima back in 2019. He has since run off a string of wins with just a split decision loss to Logan Storley back in May of last year. But this win over Yamaguchi came against a guy who had three straight wins headed into this fight. I guess I ask this all the time, 35-year-old MVP, are we starting to think of him as more relevant now? You know... He's just such a fun guy to have around yeah. that I guess I don't get so caught up in thinking anymore. Because for a while it was like, okay, he's a can crusher. And, you know, then we saw him in some real fights, some mixed results in some of those fights. Clearly, he's when he gets to do his stuff, he's amazing. And when he gets to do his stuff, he can 
produce some sort of, uh, not just the finishing highlights, but some moments that as Bellator, as a promoter, you definitely need that because it's like, you can sell me on a Michael Page fight just because I'm like, I might see some shit I haven't seen before. I mean, it's it's some crazy shit. He's at least going to go out there and give you, give it a try to do some crazy shit. Uh, and whether you ever in a position where you're talking about him as the best in the world or not, that's still a whole, that's, that's half the ball game for both MMA fighters and MMA promoters. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, it's going down at the O2 Arena in London, England, a third meeting between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. But this time around, Leon Edwards is the champion after pulling off the last minute, last second uh, knockout of Kamaru Usman at UFC 278, four minutes and four seconds into the fifth round back there on the 20th of August 2022 in a fight that it appeared that he was en route to losing on the cards. So here we go again. You got these two guys now fighting in Leon Edwards's backyard. So at least he's got that going for him. And yet, as you mentioned at the top of the show, and as I said, trying to get lightning to strike twice here, there seems to be a general consensus of, oh, he can't do it again though, right? Can he? Can he? Yeah. Especially because you got to feel like if you're Kamaru Usman, you tell yourself, like, things were going exactly the way I wanted them to until I got kicked. And so what do you really need to change when if you go out there? Are you going to go out there and think, like, okay, does he have an answer for your Kamaru Usman game? Because it didn't really seem like it, you know? In what way do you think, if you're, if you're in Leon Edwards' corner, I mean, obviously... Great moments in corner advice uh, that we have to say between the fourth and fifth rounds in that one. But when you have a little bit more time to think about it, okay, we've seen this guy twice now. We got a lot of data on him in that last meeting, but you don't want to have to rely on we're just going to land one big magical shot at some point. What do you tell yourself you are going to do? Yeah, the champion comes in at plus 205, according to DraftKings, which is not something that you see every day. And I agree with you, like, I guess if you're Kamaru Usman, this is a situation where you can just kind of wipe the slate clean in some ways. Just say, I, you know, I got caught. I got kicked in the head. It can happen to anybody uh, over the course of a bunch of fights. And maybe you don't need to do all that much different if when you head into this third meeting between the two. Leon Edwards on the other side of the coin has had an awful long time to get ready now for this third fight where you got to think, you know, just as Kamara Usman probably is about him, he's only focusing on Kamara Usman. And so you say, you expect to see two guys in this fight the third time around who know each other very, very well. And have basically had an eternity to prepare for fighting each other a third time. So I expect to see well-schooled, well-studied versions of both of these guys as they go out there one more time in the cage. I will ask you this, Kamara Usman, He's about to turn 36. He turns 36 years old in May this year. Could it be one of those situations where all of a sudden you're like, oh, 
well, this guy has gotten a little old all of a sudden. He's not as good as he once was. Yeah, I mean, that's always got to be a consideration. I mean, it's not necessarily that I think that we could even sit there and say that that that's what we saw. You know, I don't I don't feel like we could tell ourselves that what we saw was uh, him going out there and losing a step necessarily because, you know, anybody can get kicked in their head. That could happen. And it's going pretty well up until that. I do wonder, though, about his hand, because remember, we, we've, we've heard for a while now about him having this, this recurring trouble with his hand and getting his hand healthy. And there was for a while we we're talking about, is this even the fight that's going to happen? Is are we going to get a different fight? for the title because he won't be ready to do it. We you see him show up even just like a few months ago, like in pictures and somebody is in the clearly his hands all wrapped up in something that we, he, that's an issue and stuff like that. We've seen other people deal with hand stuff, especially that can get complicated and that can really, if you, if you have to work around something like that, or if you have to go in and even worried about it, thinking about it, then that could be a problem for you. I mean, granted, if if you do have to work around an injured hand, it'd be really nice to be a great wrestler <laughs> to have that to kind of fall back on, you know? Yeah. Um, but Leon Edwards is a, a good all-around fighter, big guy uh, for the weight class, has some power as we've seen. You don't want to go into that fight thinking like, okay, we're, we have any sort of extra stuff that we have to work around. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, the co-main event, which we mentioned earlier in the show, Justin Gaethje comes into this fight on the heels of a stretch where he has gone one and two in his last three. Of course, the losses are to Habib Nurmagomedov in a lightweight title fight at UFC 254 and Charles Oliveira uh, in what was essentially supposed to be a lightweight title fight before Oliveira missed weight and only Gaethje was eligible for the title. But, you know, the recent losses for Justin Gaethje are high, high level losses. He had won four in a row since his 2018 loss to Dustin Poirier. He also mixed in a win over Michael Chandler during this time. But Gaethje is a guy who, you know, he still competes at a high level, although I think we all know what his strengths and weaknesses are. And I guess this is sort of a litmus test fight for Raphael Fazeev, who we know uh, is one of the more talented and well-schooled strikers in this company, really. And so... uh it's an interesting one, man. It's interesting to see Raphael Fazeev now. Uh, I believe he is also riding a six-fight win streak here. We had one against Rafael Dos Anjos in July of 2022. So if he wins this one, I mean, he will have totally arrived. He will. I think you got to consider him among the championship contenders, I guess, if he beats Justin Gaethje. Yeah, I would wonder what Justin Gaethje is thinking about that in terms of like... Are you wondering, does the UFC look at you now and see a guy where they go, here's somebody against whom future title contenders could make a name? Yeah. Obviously, they see you and they think, here's a guy who has uh, a lot of capital to spend with the fans in terms of they know he puts on exciting fights. And so we can put him on a fight card and immediately it gets more interest. People are, are... they, they want to be in their seats when Justin Gaethje fights. I'd also wonder, though, since you're like, okay, you know, you've got losses uh, to the like two of the recent lightweight champions in Habib and, and Chucky Olives. 
You got the decision win over Michael Chandler. He's on. He's moved on to the Conor McGregor sweepstakes. Are they looking at you and being like, what could we use this guy's name value for while there's still some some shine left on it? Yeah. Like this is the one you got to win to sort of uh, hit the pause on that and let people know like that you're not the guy to make a name off of. Not yet anyway. Yeah. I mean, and this is two guys really who have both in some ways made a name for themselves as appointment viewing. Obviously the thing that Raphael Fazeev does is a little bit different than Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje more known as a brawler. Fazeev is, is highly technical. One of the more technical guys uh, in the sport and in the company and a guy who made his, his living as a striking coach before he came into his own as a professional MMA fighter. Uh, so this one's just kind of got fireworks written all over it. And again, in Fazeev, we talk about this all the time. The UFC just has an embarrassment of talent. Just so much talent spread over the five or 600 fighter roster that it commands at this point. Raphael Fazeev just turned 30 about six days ago, seven days ago, and he seems primed for a championship run in this weight class. And he's a guy that, like, if you weren't thinking super hard, you might just forget about him. If it's not yeah. fight week for Raphael Fazeev, because that's how many good fighters the UFC has, especially at these, you know, 135, 145, 155 weight classes. Yeah, and that is the thing, too, is that there's just so much talent to, to normally think about. And a few of those people sucking up a lot of the oxygen in the room that you do kind of have to be reminded, oh, yeah, Raphael Fazeev. He's kind of rad, too. Um, tell you what, though, if you go in there and you win a slugfest against J Justin Gaethje, that could help us remember you. Yeah, you know? no, it definitely could. Raphael Fazeev going off at minus 230, Justin Gaethje at plus 195, just to run down the rest of the main card. You talked about Gunnar Nelson versus Brian Barbarina. That's another one you should probably uh, circle on your calendars. Jennifer Maya against Casey O'Neill in a women's flyweight fight in the curtain jerker, at least on the pay-per-view. Marvin Vittori, Mad Marv, going out there against uh, Roman Delize. And, and he's a guy who is who also seems like he's creeping on a come up over there in the middleweight division. Yeah, that's one to watch. Yeah, Jack Shore and Mark Juan Amirakani, the featured prelim, and then it kind of drifts down from there. But a relatively good pay-per-view card here, although, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the third time the UFC is asking you to give them 80 bucks in a little over a month. So obviously we won't find out what the buy rate is for this one, but it seems like it's in a little bit of a tough spot, if you ask me. Yeah. All right. Let's do just saying stuff. Uh, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, I kind of hate to keep harping on this, uh, this, this topic, but more quotes from Dana White as oh, no. to how he believes a fight between John Jones and Francis Ngannou would have gone. Of course, he tells TMZ, I'm not interested in making that fight. Uh, I tried to make the fight for two years. He didn't want the fight and left here without having uh, another deal in place. Here's Dana White's quote. Uh, let me tell you what, and a lot of other people feel this way. So we're already going with many people are saying, yep. uh, let me tell you what, and a lot of other people feel this way. I think that's exactly how a fight. If Nganu was in there instead of Cyril gone, Francis and Cyril had a five round war. And if Cyril doesn't go for that submission, Cyril probably wins that fight at the end of the fifth round. So Dana White coming out and saying he thinks uh, John Jones versus Francis Ngannou would have played out exactly as John Jones versus Cyril Gaon played out. 
Uh, so I guess this week I'm just saying, oh, really? <laughs> That's what you think? Like a guy who just signed a long-term deal would have beat the guy who just left the company after a protracted contract dispute? That's what you think? Yeah, that's how you think it would have gone? I'm just saying, you don't fucking believe that, man. Nobody believes that. I'm just saying. Just, just saying. Nobody you know, believes that. I'm glad you brought that. up Francis, Francis Ngannou, Chad, because my just saying this week, I'm reading this story from Middle Easy where it's talking about Francis Ngannou making a statement on his YouTube channel where he's talking about what he would, would choose to do if he were to fight in another MMA organization again, uh, which seems like eventually somewhere he probably will. We also know boxing is probably where he could go in there, have one fight, make a whole bunch of money, probably lose, but still make a whole bunch of money. Um, And he's talking about where he might land in his MMA future. Here's the quote. If I have to pick another MMA organization to go to, I think it's between these three organizations, PFL, Bellator, and one championship. So I'm just saying, okay, so it's it's down to all the others? <laughs> That's what you're telling us? Well, he could have gone to KSW. We eliminated the UFC, and now I'm only considering pretty much all the others. Yeah. I'm glad that you have, you have really narrowed it down for us, Francis. <laughs> I'm just saying, now just saying. I feel like I, we, we know where you're thinking is at on that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good to know, I guess. All right, that's going to do it this week for the Co-Main Event Podcast. We will be over on the Patreon page all week. Check us out over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Get in for $1 a month if you just want to listen to the live chat, which it's got to be the best deal in all of mixed martial arts. $1 yeah. just to get in the no door. Deal. Uh, so, you know, we'll be doing that. We'll be back one week from today with another episode of The Proper. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you when we see you. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Many people are saying, get the fuck out of here with this bullshit. I think it would have gone exactly the same. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it.